You're listening to another episode of Talking About the Passion. I'm Thomas Irwin. This is a podcast where I interview different independent musicians and showcase their music. As for myself, I'm a singer-songwriter and producer who goes by Niagara Moon. You can look up more about my own music at niagaramoonmusic.com. Shortly into my interview with Aaron Spiro that you're about to hear in a minute, we got onto the topic of music podcasts, and you'll hear that I only came up with a single example of one besides this one. And I don't know why that is. I must have had a brain fart, because I definitely know of at least two others that I wanted to recommend. So I figured I'd do a couple shout-outs for them now. The first one y'all could check out if you're looking for more podcasts that are similar to Talking About the Passion is Music City Spotlight, run by Sal Bella and Shannon Whalen. I had Sal and Shannon on my podcast a few episodes ago, so if you go back to episode number two, you can check that out. If you heard that episode, you probably noticed Sal can really talk up a storm, in a good way, so it makes for an interesting podcast, for sure. Um, Theirs is pretty similar to mine in that they interview different musicians, except that they also have the musicians perform a few of their songs live, and they record that, kind of like Tiny Desk Concerts. So again, that's Music City Spotlight, available on iTunes and SoundCloud. The other one is called Girl on Girl Podcast. That's girl spelled G-R-R-L, like Riot Girl. Girl on Girl is a music and interview show featuring musicians from marginalized communities, released bi-weekly and hosted by June Oatari. She shares songs and experiences from a feminist perspective. June is based in San Diego, but she has guests from all over the country, sometimes even Europe. She's a great interviewer and features a lot of interesting music, so definitely check out that podcast too if you're curious. That's Girl on Girl, G-R-R-L, podcast, available on iTunes, Stitcher, etc. You can also go to her homepage, girlongirl.wordpress.com. That's it for shoutouts this week. On with the show. My guest for episode number 11 is Aaron Spiro. Aaron is a pop singer-songwriter originally from Portland, Oregon, now based in Seattle. Like a lot of other songwriters here, Aaron got his chops street performing downtown at the Pike Place Market. He then went on to record his full-length debut album, By the Waterside. He actually found the musicians to play on this album on YouTube and coordinated the recording process with them entirely online. We'll get into all that in a bit, but first here is his song, Scribes. Thank you. 
it is you fill your page yourself what will you say cause every person is a writer oh whether they know it or not they are scribes of their own lives you gotta live a little to survive Shades of gray to hide from everyone. Yeah, whatever the cover may be, worn or new. It's what's in the pages that matters, 'cause that is the real you. 'Cause every person's a writer, oh, when they know. program are you using it looks like is that pro tools this is ableton ableton okay i use logic and i wish i used not logic but i used logic for a while when i was a teenager oh nice because a friend of mine had it and cool. i got his version of it i found it pretty useful but it just had so many features that i didn't understand or need it was oh, yeah. just overwhelming a little bit to yeah. use um what version of logic do you have i have logic pro 10 and uh, i like it but i think that As an acoustic player, uh, I would probably do better on Pro Tools, but it's super expensive, so 
I'm going to find a way to uh, get it for not really expensive and then I'll use it. <laughs> yeah, Pro Tools is kind of notorious for being needlessly expensive. Mm -hmm. And they have like hardware that you can only use with Pro Tools. Yeah, and that exactly. Sort of thing. Exactly. Like they were the industry standard however many years ago, but I feel like a lot of other softwares that have come out have kind of replaced them in Absolutely. a way. Absolutely. Like Ableton. Ableton has exploded in the last few years, especially it's, with... It's just so easy to use once yeah. you understand it. It's so like creator-friendly. Yeah, I should give it a try. Looks nice. Yeah, Ableton I would definitely recommend, but um, I've also heard of one called Studio One. Oh, yeah. Which is like for, 50 bucks Personas, or something. right? Uh, yeah, I'm not sure the company, Possibly. but it's just like, it's way cheaper than a lot of other workstations because it's also pretty pared down. It doesn't have a lot of fancy stuff, but it's like totally usable for, for most musicians. Yeah, manageable. So there's definitely a lot of options out there. Cool. I'm really excited to do this because I feel like I'm listening to podcasts all the time. Yeah. But I've never been in the process of being a part of one. And so this is really cool what you're doing. They're getting more popular it. all yeah, the time. Absolutely. What podcast do you listen to? Uh, I listen to Reply All a lot. Which oh, is a, my girlfriend listens to that. Yeah, it's really good. I listen to one called Heavyweight. Um, and I haven't dived into the music podcast scene yet, but I hopefully will soon. I drive a lot. There's from not Seattle, many. Portland. There's there's really? only a few. Song Exploder is one of the most famous ones. Yeah. But they're short, and they only come out once a week. Like a new artist comes out with a, a song or whatever, and they'll okay. uh, they'll break it down. Like they'll play all the different individual parts and kind of explain oh, wow. how they put it together. So especially if it's an artist that you're interested in, it's a really fascinating thing to listen to. But, you know, once a week, only 18 minutes or whatever. Yeah, I really like uh, WTF. Oh, Mark I've never Maron. listened to that one. I should. Got to write all these down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can give you links. But he uh, his podcast is just interviews for okay. like an hour or whatever. With cool. celebrities. He's a comedian. A lot of the times he's talking to other comedians, but sometimes he'll talk to musicians. So those are the ones oh, yeah? I really like. Yeah. Cool. And that was but called he, WTF? WTF, yeah. But he also doesn't know a lot about music. So sometimes he doesn't ask <laughs> the, the right questions. Yeah. The right questions. Yeah. Yeah. Podcasts are cool because they're really convenient. You can listen to them while you're doing other things. You can listen to them whenever you want. They're Absolutely. right there on your iPhone. Yeah. I find it's really nice because I'm making the drive from Seattle to Portland all the time. Okay. And back. Yeah. You and need so, something for that yeah, three hours. Three hours. I can't, like, I love music and I love listening to music, but there's a certain point at which I just, like, after three hours, I can't listen to more music. You, your brain can't work that way anymore. You need exactly. Yeah. Sentences. You need words. <laughs> yeah. After a while. Yeah. That's kind of where podcasts fell in for me, too, is I listen to music all the time, but eventually I you get bored once in a while or you just like you can't listen anymore but you still want to absolutely and i find that i'm listening to music a lot to really like focus and analyze it and and hear you know what makes it unique i can't usually listen to music and multitask because i right. get too immersed in the music and right so it's I, kind of an all or nothing sort of yeah thing. and maybe that's just a musician's problem we're mm -hmm. always like analyzing and like breaking apart the music and so with podcasts i don't have that problem i can just like kick back and listen yeah yeah totally so that's a big reason why I thought to start one, because they're relevant, they're pretty easy to make, they're fun to do. Like I'm a podcast fan myself, so I feel like I have some, I have my own likes and dislikes and preferences. But anyway, getting uh, to the music side of things, <laughs> um, when did you first start playing music? Oh, geez. It's been a while. I, uh, I think my first uh, musical instrument was piano uh, when I was in maybe first grade. And then I kind of went from there and did the whole recorder scene in fourth yeah, yeah. grade and w eventually moved into some jazz bands and wind ensembles where I played a lot of instruments like tuba and berry sax, Ooh. which is a little bit different. Uh, but I ended up falling in love with uh, acoustic guitar and singing, which is kind of where I focus on now. The other instruments have 
died away a little bit, unfortunately. So what first got you into music, do you think? Do you have any early memories of falling in love with a certain recording? or? Yeah, so I think that uh, it originally started, my mom always played 60s and 70s music in the car when I was a kid. Yeah. And so I remember hearing Good Vibrations by the mm. Beach Boys, which I think was one of the first, like, magnetic tape like really really produced songs that sounded really unique and so i i like bonded with that song because a lot of the music before that when i was listening to to jazz uh and you know early styles before uh the british invasion and things like that when they were recorded uh on less technological devices they yeah the technology evolved really rapidly during that yeah, period. Yeah, absolutely. And I just, every time I listened to Good Vibrations, I would hear how how much more complicated it was in terms of the layers and uniqueness of the song. And so between that and, you know, the, the British invasion and then the counterculture going on with soul and funk at the time, like... Yeah, I, a lot of great a, R&B bands from that yeah, period. Yeah, absolutely. I kind of just fell in love with music through oldies. When did you start playing guitar? I started playing guitar in eighth grade. I remember because I was uh, forced to practice my other instruments like sax and tuba, but guitar was something I had for myself that I wasn't, it wasn't a requirement. I wasn't doing it for anyone else. I was doing, doing it, it for you. Exactly. And so I loved that about it and the freedom to be able to play on my own. And uh, when did you start writing songs? Much later than eighth grade. <laughs> oh, so probably. you were playing guitar for a while before you thought to, to write your own yeah. compositions? Yeah, so I probably started writing songs at the age of 16 or 17, but didn't really seriously jump into it until probably close to 18. And then I really started you know, talking to current songwriters I knew uh, and doing a lot of research to see you know, how does this whole process of writing a song work. Right, and break it down. A yeah, bit. exactly. Is that around the same time you started singing too, or how, no, how far I started back singing, does that go for you? Probably also eighth grade. Uh, I'm one of those unique individuals that I, when I started playing guitar, I also was pretty much tone deaf. I was close, mm -hmm. and I had a really bad voice, but I really loved watching people who could sing really well, and so I kind of fell in love with it. And I told myself I wouldn't let my lack of talent be the cause for me not singing. And so I worked on it a lot, and eventually ah. got to something a little bit better than tone deaf. <laughs> Nice. Yeah. So you just put the, the work into it. Yeah, to exactly. For, yeah. So you started writing songs, you know, by the end of high school. Yeah. And then um, when did you start performing? Performing was probably around the same time. I maybe a little earlier because I would do a lot of covers. You know, I, I started falling in love with a lot of these singer songwriters um, yeah. like Ben Rector and Andy Grammer and, you know, a lot of uh a lot of people listen to cool, obscure, you know, hip things. And I, I found I listened to like acoustic pop a lot of the time, to be honest. Uh -huh. <laughs> Between that and oldies, it kept me pretty occupied. And so I, I kept hearing all of these songs that focused a lot on on just like the piano and the guitar and the vocals um, and a basic drum kit. Uh, yeah. And it it sounded great. And I loved that. And I loved that I could create that myself, you know, just in my, my living room. So you dig the, the smoother stuff? Yeah, I guess so. And I think that the, the original start of my performance was busking. I, I started mm -hmm. busking in, uh, in the Portland Saturday market when I was probably around 16 uh, and just doing covers. And then I started to fall in love with the act of, of being able to, you know, draw a crowd and, and really find a song that they're passionate about. And so that was really cool. Busking was hard because some days, you know, you would have rarely anyone stop and other days you would have a pretty big crowd. And so I think that it's a really brutal way of seeing how well you how actually are. How an audience are. is going to respond to you. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So you're from Portland originally? Yeah. 
Neat. Yeah, busking, that can almost be like a, like a stand-up comedian going on an open mic. You know, you have no exactly. idea what's going to work, what's not going to work until you're right there and you see the, the yeah. audience reaction. And no loyalty. Yeah, it kind of <laughs> takes uh, some guts. Yeah, and it, it, it was a lot of fun. I find that I don't do a lot of busking anymore, but when I originally moved to Seattle about three years ago, I also got a permit to play at Pike Place and did some busking there as well, which mm. uh, was even more brutal because in the Portland Saturday market, it was a lot easier to become a busker. But yeah, that's kind of a slower-paced yeah. venue. I mean, a lot a of people are there to just slow down and enjoy yeah, themselves. But Pike Place was much more busy. You know, it, it was crazy, and so I found that I was – constantly passing people and it, it was a lot of fun so you street performed at pike place for like over the course of a year or? yeah probably a year like 2014 2015 around there wow so that must have been great for developing your your performing chops yeah absolutely being able to you know last long enough time to be able to sing and play guitar uh, for, you know, up to a couple hours, three hours. And right, you so, got to make sure not to strain your vocals too exactly. much. Exactly, and that was a challenge at first, and it still is. You know, vocal warm-ups are so important. I've found over the years because, you know, if you don't warm up right, you will just strain yourself in the first 10 minutes. <laughs> and that's, I can attest to that. Yeah, exactly. Every musician knows. <laughs> wow. So... You did busking for a while. Did you uh, move on to like open mics and that sort of thing? Yeah, a little bit. I uh, I floated through open mics. Uh, like there's some on campus around University of Washington I would oh. go to. Uh, and whenever I was down in Portland, I, I have some friends that are musicians down there. And so I would go with them to some open mics every now and then. But uh, I found that my like passions shifted a little bit from performance over to recording and songwriting, which yeah, yeah. which uh, is a totally different ballgame. Take different parts of your brain. Yeah, exactly. And I love performance, and I still love being able to perform in front of an audience, but somehow being able to be in a closed space uh, in an environment where you have the opportunity to mess up with no pressure and restart is kind of exciting. Yeah. I mean, your album, By the Waterside, it sounds like you really labored over that for a while. Yeah. <laughs> There's so many different parts on those songs. Uh, it's very full sound. Yeah. Yeah, I wanted to ask, like, how did you go about getting everybody to play on that? Sounds like a lot of people were involved. Yeah, so that that was my first album, my only album. So the next one's coming eventually. Ooh. Uh, yeah, mystery. But hopefully in the summer we'll start recording that next album. But Neat. the first album was a full 12-track uh, album that I got people together a lot of people I didn't know, actually, because I knew that I wanted to keep a level of quality and standard. And while I love my friends who are musicians and they're fantastic, um, I was looking for somebody who's, you know, been playing the instrument they've been playing for years, you know, 20, years. Yeah, you wanted people who are really polished. Yeah, exactly. Some really quality musicians. And so I went around it kind of in a unique way because I wanted to find people who could connect with the music a little bit more than just a session musician and work on creating their own parts for it. So I would bring in multiple perspectives. So I originally started by going through YouTube and uh, searching covers of songs that I knew really well and like knew the structure of really well. Mm -hmm. And I just listened to, God, it must have been hundreds or even thousands of, of different musicians wow. who you know would do covers and I would wait until I found one that really fit what I was looking for and had the talent and skill. And then from there, I would reach out to them uh, individually and, and talk about, you know, the project I'm doing and if they would be interested in possibly coming along as uh, a songwriter for their own parts uh, in collaboration with uh, what ideas I was thinking and as a performer, uh, a recording musician. And 
Actually, to be honest, most of them said yes. I didn't get a lot of no's, which Neat. surprised me. Yeah. That's encouraging. Yeah. And I guess my target audience, like I was avoiding the people who had millions of views on YouTube. Yeah. Because they probably just get so many unsolicited exactly. messages. It's, yeah. Exactly. And so I found people who were getting like between 10 and 30,000 views a video was like the sweet spot because yeah, they were yeah. really talented and people recognized that, but they weren't quite discovered yet, you know? It, yeah, they were still open to taking on a lot of different new projects. Exactly, yeah. And so they they were really flexible and, and nice and really great to work with. I was able to, I mean, even working with some of them I never met, like my piano player was from Italy and I never actually met him, but there were many a time when we were on, you know, calls trying to figure out exactly what the style we were looking for was and going back and forth, testing tracks and, and wow. trying to find the perfect sound. That's awesome. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. A really Go internet. Way. Yeah, exactly. Really, the internet helped me out on this one. <laughs> so you'd find these different musicians on YouTube and then you'd just go to their like personal websites or something? Yeah, I would. I would. Sometimes they didn't even have personal websites. Um, but uh, they, you know, I would just keep looking until I found the right one. And then when I would reach out to them, it would usually begin with a, hey, I saw this video and I loved the style that you were uh, creating. Uh, I'm creating an album right now and I've got, you know, the first few tracks laid out. This is what I'm looking for. I can't offer you as much as I wish I could pay you, but of course you'll get credit on the back of the album. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it would be, you know, a cool project for you to jump on. And so feel free to reach out back to me if you're interested and... Uh, it was. I found some great musicians. Wow, very cool. So, where did you get the idea to do that? Well, I think this came to you. The the first reason was because recording the first album, I was really poor. <laughs> Still really poor. We're working on it. But college student, college student musicians' life. You know, best of both worlds. <laughs> but I found that. You know, there are there's a lot of really good talent out there that are willing to to do a lot of hard work for. If they believe the in the projects. Yeah, yeah, exactly. To be able to be a part of it, and so. Um, I thought, you know, if I can't, I'm not looking for just session musicians. I want somebody who can bring their own perspective in because I was the also the executive producer of the album. Mm. But I knew that the album could be, you know, created in a much wider sense if I was able to let people bring their own musical backgrounds into it and write their own parts. And so with session musicians, a lot of the times I found that they would, you know, just re sight read the stuff that I wrote. And I didn't want that. I wanted a little bit more unique perspective, which means more time put into it on the musician's end. And so like I can think of, for example, the the violin, or, I'm sorry, the cello player on the album, uh, really fan, uh, fantastic player. She uh, wrote three parts to every single song. Oh and my so, God. Yeah, really, really good. She's really dedicated. Yeah, very dedicated. And I, you know, originally... I would be very specific and say, like, I saw she did a cover of a Jason Mraz song off his album, Yes, uh, with Raining Jane, which has a lot of um, string parts and a lot of harmonies. And so she did a cover of that on her on YouTube. And I reached out to her and said, I'm looking for this uh, three times created on my album. And so I know that's a lot, but would you be interested in possibly giving it a go? And she was up for the challenge and did an amazing job. Uh, really good. And you know, after it, not everything was used, of course, because you get so many parts from so many artists. Yeah, you got to be able to pick and choose. Yeah, but it really, I think something that I'm really proud of for my album was the fact that uh, there's a lot of flair in it from each part that comes and goes. You know, it's you hear some really unique perspectives uh, from the cello player and then from the harmonies here and there and then from a trumpet player every now and yeah, then. Yeah, the horns were awesome. Yeah. The stuff I heard, yeah. Yeah. So these people would just record at their own 
studios and then send you those files? Yeah. So uh, some of them had really good uh, professional recording equipment, which made it a lot That's easier. That's a big help, yeah. Yeah, and then others I had to coordinate with local studios um, to be able to bring them in to spend some time in the studio. So it was kind of a balance of both. Uh, it was really helpful when people had their own recording equipment because it let them really have the flexibility to record when they wanted to rather than trying to find studios in their local area. But that happened a few times as well. Yeah, both the internet and the ability to communicate with people around the world and the advent of home studios. I mean, those are just two great, in my opinion, underrated uh, developments we've had in the indie music world in the last few years. It's amazing what you can do. It's amazing. Like the the quality you can get out of a sound in a home home recording studio is really incredible. Like the, the leaps and bounds that have been created over the past 20 years of just, you know, to be able to just buy an audio interface and buy, uh, you know, an SM58, a classic dynamic microphone, you can do a lot with. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, you know, you hear sometimes musicians being like, oh, it's so hard to be a musician in 2017. People don't pay for this or blah, blah, blah. I don't know. It's, there's a lot of things that make it really it's encouraging. It's a mixed bag, yeah. you know, because on one hand, you know, you're absolutely right in terms of uh, both sides being the first one that there's so uh, such accessibility to music. You know, people can find music from every corner of the earth just by going on their laptop. So that can be hard because you are faced with a lot of other great competition uh, in terms of your style of music. But at the same time, to be able to for anybody with any budget to record something that sounds pretty good is is a huge step forward. Which means that no matter where you come from, you have a chance to to put your music out there and be heard. Yeah, I mean, not only the opportunity to record, but also to promote it to a certain extent, even if you don't have much of a budget. Yeah, absolutely. You know, if you know where to go, if you know, if you have a good idea of what your who your audience might be. Yeah. And you know, just post it in the right places. It's you can start getting some traction. I mean, you don't need labels anymore. Yeah, exactly. What your act is. That's so true. It's uh, you know, fifty years ago it was a lot different. You really needed the gatekeepers. Exactly. You needed the support of a label to help you move forward and really be successful in the in your music career. But nowadays, there are musicians here and there. Like take Chance the Rapper, like one of the most notorious uh, musicians of of this year that refuses to sign a label. Yeah, another guy I had on this podcast recently. He was talking about how Chance the Rapper was a big inspiration for him. Oh, really? Yeah, really cool music. Uh, his story is really powerful. Yeah, speaking of which, so you finished the recording of your album, and then did you seek out any kind of label situation, or you self-released? Yeah, so originally I was looking for labels and trying to see you know, where what label would fit my, my genre and could really help me grow. And I was in touch with a few labels here and there uh, and had it reviewed by a few uh, big labels and indie labels. And uh, I came to the conclusion that, you know, what, what they were offering wasn't really what I was looking for because most of the labels wanted their own the rights and creative control of the music. Nah. Exactly. That's like as a musician hearing that, you're just like heartbroken. It's, it's, uh, it's really hard, especially with the, any major label. They all they seem to want their, the rights to the um, song itself. Musicians, don't do it. It's a <laughs> exactly. crappy deal. Exactly. It really is. And, you know, you get a penny on the dollar, you know, a tenth yeah. of a penny on the dollar that you make. And that's, you know, really difficult. And so I found that I ended up creating my own label uh, called Downtown Acoustics Recording. Uh, sorry, Downtown Acoustics Music Company. I should know the name of my label. <laughs> For some reason, it slips out of my mind. D-A-M-C? Yeah, Damco, I call it. It's okay. <laughs> 
fun. And so I, I ended up going that route and self-releasing because I wanted really full creative control of where I went with my music. And a lot of my artists, a lot of the artists that I was inspired from, such as, you know, Eric Hutchinson and Joe Brooks, two great examples of musicians that started independent, signed to a label for one album and then left the label because they were really unsatisfied mm. and then went off on their own route for their independent music. And they were both really successful post leaving their label. And I could tell based off of, you know, their experiences that they really like being on their own now. And, and it seems like most of the artists I listen to are starting to switch towards that, you know, feel of being able to be on your own. Yeah. I feel like either that's the best course of action or if it's a label that you particularly love, like a lot of the artists yeah. that you, a lot of your favorite artists are on, or exactly. if it's a label that just like it has a certain kind of sense of community and exactly. pays attention to the artists, like yeah. that can really be worth it. Some labels that are kind of like a, you know, not super famous, but kind of in that middle, yeah, exactly. that middle level, that can be. I mean, I, I wouldn't mind getting on one of those, but yeah, I mean, like self-release is also a good way to go for sure. Yeah, and I one label that sticks out to my mind is S Curve Records. Um, they're they're pretty small, but they have uh, musicians like Andy Grammer on there, and he's also a, a busker uh, originally, who now is a, a re- pretty big star in the in the pop industry, or he's getting there. And um, I I admire that because he you know he started like me with almost nothing as a busker, but his label really treated him well and and helped him grow, and he stuck with it the whole time. So that's one example where you know labels aren't always that bad. You know they. They can help you grow and, and give you what you need and be flexible with the style of music you want. Because I can still hear, you know, as music is turning more pop and more for mainstream, but you still hear the inspiration from his original style. So yeah, yeah. it's nice to at least hear the he, he still has say in where his music goes. So with your next project, you know, for album number two. Yeah. When, when that comes out, are you going to stick with Downtown Acoustic Music Company? Uh, I'm not I sure. Haven't decided yet. I haven't decided. I, I think it depends on where my music goes. I, I know that, you know, I learned a lot on my first album, uh, things I loved and things I hated. You know, every any recording musician will listen to their own songs and just hear every little mistake because you've heard it yeah. thousands of times. And that debut times. album is really a, a learning process. Absolutely. You figure out what works and what doesn't work when yeah, you're putting absolutely. your ideas down on, on tape. Yeah, 100%. I think that... For the second album, I, I'm not sure. I haven't really thought much about the label side of things, but I know that I want to do things differently than I did for my first album. I want to bring on a, a producer who's been in the game for a while in the, the genre that I play mm-hmm. uh, because I think that as producing my first album was a great experience and I had full creative control of exactly what I wanted to do. Yeah. But I think that there's also a sense of having somebody over you who's done this for 40 years that says, hey, actually this sucks. That's indispensable to have that other voice who has that much experience. Exactly. You know, it's so true. And for somebody to be honest with you and say, hey, you know, you're... I love the passion you're putting into this, but it's really just not that good. <laughs> and so let's let's work on it and and change it up and and make it uh, a little bit more richer, fuller, or you know, low volume or whatever you're looking mm. for. I, I think that that resource is valuable that I I wanted on my first album and didn't really have the connections to make then, and I think I can figure out for the next album. Awesome. So you're still seeking that person out. Yeah, still looking, still trying to find the right person. Yeah, the producer, the role of the producer is really often misunderstood or yeah. underappreciated. 
Absolutely. And I, I find that so true because I do some producing of my own uh, with friends and local bands around here every now and then uh, and just getting into that game. And I really like it because it takes a lot of coordination. And as somebody who majored in business management, mm. I I find that it's a good fit for me because it lets me put all the cogs together on the back end. And so I I respect a lot of what they do and, and their ability to be flexible and, and juggle a lot of tasks at once. Neat. So after you put out By the Waterside, um, did you do a lot of shows or did you do any kind of tour? I, I wish I did a tour. I, Too that's, busy. That's where I uh, I you know made a mistake. I, I didn't do a, a strict tour. I just did shows here and there. Okay. Um, and mostly I, in Seattle and Portland. Yeah, mostly Seattle, Portland. Um, I did a lot of traveling. So uh, during that time as well, I'm a big traveler, and so wherever I'd go, I try and connect with local pubs and coffee shops mm. and set up a way to to play a show with them. And so I'm lucky to be able to say I've played in, in quite a lot of countries, but not uh, for people coming to listen to my music, but who happen to be there and are listening to my music. Awesome. Yeah. First I mean, album. So you're not very big when you release your yeah, first album. Yeah. Uh, having followed you on social media, I see all these beautiful pictures from <laughs> all these places in Europe. And I mean, how, how many countries have you been to, would you say? Uh, I, well, I just got back from uh, Slovenia like two days ago, actually. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and uh, that marked my 43rd country. Oh, my God. So you've been, how many continents have you been to? Uh, oh, man, I haven't counted my Have you continents. been to all of them? I mean, besides no. Antarctica? Well, not yet. So I haven't been to, I've almost touched South America. I went through Central America. All right. I haven't done South America, Africa, or Antarctica, or Oceania, which is like Australia, New Zealand region. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this summer, I'm hoping to spend uh, a month in Africa and a month in South America. You know, fun fact, actually, I wanted to go to Antarctica this summer. <laughs> um, it's really expensive. That's Wait, in the summer, that's like the worst time. I, I, I don't know anything about so Antarctica. Our summers, they're winter. Yeah. You're going to go there when it's like the coldest. <laughs> I guess so, but I realized I can't because to go, I thought I could just go to, you know, the tip of Argentina and yeah, yeah. take a boat. It's like $10,000. It's like three to $10,000 to take a boat <laughs> I mean, to I guess they really... They need it to be worth their while to go exactly. someplace that remote. Yeah. So I, I'm going to get to Antarctica one day, but one I don't day. think it'll be this year. <laughs> wow. What's, uh, what's been some of your favorite countries that you visited? Well, I have to say Ireland is way up there and mainly because of the music scene. Mm. You know, the, the, the music scene in Ireland is really unique to where, you know, every bar you go into, every pub has this singer-songwriter feel of, you know, this guitar player and singer with, you know, maybe a cajon player, yeah. a violin. It's a... Uh, it's really raw, and, and I love that. You know, I love the style of music there and how many musicians are just out there on, like as a side gig playing, playing in pubs in the evenings, and I love that. I, I wish that we had more of that in America. Right. I mean, the music culture in Ireland must be so strong. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I think that Ireland was up there because of the music, but, you know, every, every country has its differences. So, like, Switzerland is beautiful because of the Swiss Alps and, you know, all of and a lot of that whole area in Austria and Switzerland you have – um, cities and towns tucked away in these mountainsides and they're incredible and really beautiful. And then you switch over to like Southeast Asia and Indonesia and Thailand where it's hot and overwhelming. Super crowded. Super, and... Sometimes really crowded, but also amazing. You know, the nature is absolutely beautiful. And oh, you can I can go on imagine, yeah. Incredible hikes and rafting and, uh, and the cultures are really unique and really friendly. Wow. And uh, you had mentioned earlier before we started the podcast, you'd spent a good deal of time in Israel. Yeah, I spent uh, six months in the Middle East. Did you, were you uh, musically active during that time? As yeah, well? actually, part of my album I recorded uh, in a little studio in Jerusalem. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So what's the music scene like in Israel? 
Uh, a lot different. You know, there's uh, there's a few big bands that are huge. Uh, one of them is called Hadag Nahash, and they're they're really good. They're actually an Israeli rap band. Uh, mm. Well, maybe maybe they wouldn't classify as rap, but they. I think that it's really different. But I found that a lot of the music scenes and music uh, venues in Israel uh, revolved around really really big outdoor shows. So they would have like like kind of like what we would have with Sasquatch or, you know, yeah, different yeah. venues like that, you know, where you have a whole Coachella or something. Exactly. A lot of uh, the big music scene there is uh, just artists going out on a stage in uh, a lawn full of, you know, thousands upon thousands of people and less about small, small shows and bands, mm, which is kind of a disappointment. I wish there was more. Right. It's either a really big event or... Almost yeah. nothing. Yeah. Yeah. It seemed huh. like that's the trend where really, really big events, but no, no small shows really. Is, uh, does Modest Yahoo have a big following over there? Yeah, of course. <laughs> of course. So that's awesome that you've gotten to see all these different places and experience like how music is received differently yeah. in different places. Yeah, I'm lucky. And uh, you said you're planning a trip to South America and Africa coming up? That's the goal. Uh, you know, this summer I'm... Brazil? I'm t- yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm sure that the music's incredible down there and just the, the culture is really fun and, and from what I've been told, really unique. And so this summer I'm hoping to take a few months uh, off work after I graduate and uh, take some time to travel through Africa for a few weeks, South America for a few weeks, uh, go back to Europe for a couple of weeks as well. So a total of about three months of traveling and uh, be able to hit two two continents I haven't been yet and uh, export, uh, experience some of the cultures there. Uh, ambitious. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm afraid that I'm going to start a full-time job and between that and music, never have time yeah, to no, travel it's, again. Yeah, no, now's the time to <laughs> exactly. yeah, get on it. Yeah. For sure. Um, you always travel by yourself? or Usually. I'm, I'm a pretty big solo traveler, which is not, a lot, not something that a lot of people I find uh, at least from America, do, uh, but I love it. You know, it's yeah, like being great able way. to set your own course. Yeah, it's totally on your time. You can come and go whenever you want, and it's flexible to what you want to do, and it lets you open up to the local cultures a lot easier mm. because you can, you know, couch surf and meet locals. Yeah, couch surfing is the best way to travel. Absolutely, and- I totally agree. Uh, that's how I usually travel, and it's really, really fun to meet locals and experience the food and and the the way of life there. You know, when yeah. I was in Indonesia last summer, I was able to connect with someone my age who was uh, in their undergrad uh, finishing up. And so to be able to see basically my life in Indonesia, in Indonesia was what so that looks unique, like. you yeah. know? Yeah. Awesome. So getting back to uh, music and, and songwriting, I wanted to know, um, how do you come up with new songs typically? Like what does your writing process look like? Yeah, absolutely. So I think there there are a few waves of the process. So a lot of traveling has helped me create the first wave, which is I call the initial burst of inspiration, mm-hmm. which is where you are in a situation that's new to you or foreign or even similar. And something, you know, comes to mind that is, uh, you know, an idea in terms of lyrics, like this situation is really unique, you know, a song about, about where I am or, you know, what, what the situation is, is, could be inspiring. And so I'll, I'll have a, a little book, a notebook that I basically carry around with me anywhere I'm traveling to. Oh, you're one of those notebook songwriters. I'm one of those notebook songwriters. Absolutely. And I'll, I'll jot down, um, some ideas and then, uh, I find that I actually write melodies separately. I'll be playing guitar, you know, I'll play guitar for an hour or two a day. Yeah. Uh, and I'll, you know, find a melody that I really like, you know, branch out upon it and, you know, record a, a, a snippet of that. And I'll come together and see what fits between the lyrics I'm writing and, and the melodies. And then that's, you know, session two, which is the churn, which is mm. trying to 
put something decent together. And I find that that's a really cool way of writing because it brings together multiple facets of, of experiences rather than just sitting down and doing it all at once. Mm-hmm. And so I, I pull from, from the notebook and from, you know, record like crappy recordings on my phone and I bring Got a lot together. of voice memos. Exactly. Voice memos is literally the, like my bay. It's the <laughs> dream. <laughs> Do you find that you prefer one aspect of being a musician over another? Like for example, recording versus performing versus songwriting? Like, do you have a one that... That's a good question. I, I, I love them all in different ways, but I think that the one I've... So I guess to answer this indirectly, uh, the one I appreciate the most or have come to appreciate is recording engineering mm. because I think that engineers are able to take a mess of, of too much junk and refine it down into something really pure. Yeah. And it takes a really keen ear to be able to, to help the artist pick and choose, you know, what, what will be played in the, the final track. And I would say that what you record and what the final product is are almost two different things. Completely. And, you know, the recording engineer has a huge impact on that. And I would argue that they have an equal impact as, as sometimes the songwriting itself. And I, I've come to appreciate that. And it's something that I wish I, I knew more about and I'm hoping to learn more about. Uh, but I really love. And maybe it's because I don't do that every day is why I love it. Yeah, it's interesting to see how something so organic and simple like you know, singing, playing the acoustic guitar, you have the core of your song and then how that ends up turning into a recording with all these different parts. And it just, yeah. in a way it's so artificial, like it's just so created yeah. on a computer just in this virtual world, but it, it also becomes such like a powerful representation of your Absolutely. music. Absolutely. It's kind of a, an interesting yeah. uh, kind of paradox. And that's something that I struggle with because I find that a lot of the sounds I'm creating are more raw or with real instruments. And uh, to be able to take that to a recording engineer and have them put it into a computer and see all of my work on just a single screen is like a mixed feeling because on one hand, it is weird because they can turn it into something really clean uh, and really brilliant. But at the same time, it feels like it pulls away from that just sitting, uh, you know, on, you know, sitting on a couch in the living room with some other musicians and jamming and, and you know, having a good time. Hmm. So lastly, you're, uh, you're about to graduate from college. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. Do you have any ideas in terms of uh, your career jobs you want to try out in the future, like any way to connect that with music or yeah, absolutely. What, what's been your, your uh, thought process? Yeah. So, so I come from, uh, my family isn't, isn't a family of musicians, but my brother's also, a, a, he's a full-time professional musician. Oh yeah. And he, what's his name? Uh, his name is Ian, Ian Garner, and he's a drummer, uh, based out of Portland. And I, I've seen him, you know, come and go and struggle, you know, trying to find his place in the music industry. Mm. And I feel really lucky to be able to have the passion for music, but also have a passion for business. Uh, And uh, what I focus on really is employee motivation, which is kind of like helping people not hate their jobs, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is uh, not always easy, not always easy, but a really interesting field. And so, you know, if I can find a way to, you know, maybe artist management would be in my future, being able to help people create uh, the vision for what they want uh, is something that I really love. And so to be able to combine my business management skills with my yeah. my background in music would be, I guess, a dream come true one day, you know, going into that uh, facet of the industry. Yeah. I mean, I don't think there's enough good managers out there. So I agree. You might find your niche. <laughs> in the whole world, not just music. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> 
I think that what my future holds is that I find that I'm really passionate about, especially after going through it myself, helping artists who are financially struggling, uh, help them create their uh, their album, their first album uh, within their budget. So I, I don't do it for the money. I want to do it to really help people find their voice in music. And so if I can have that opportunity to, to find some artists who are looking to you know, find their way in their first album. If I can help give some wisdom or guidance or producing uh, on that, I would love to. Awesome. Well, uh, this is a really good time. I want to thank you again for coming on today. Thank you for uh, taking me on for this amazing project. I, I really appreciate what you do creating a podcast talking to musicians. And I can't wait to hear even more musicians come onto this and hope it grows to something really great. Well, thank you very much. Mm-hmm. All right. Look forward to that new album, by the way. Yeah, stay tuned. Keep me updated. Yeah, end of summer. Crossing fingers. Crossing fingers. Fingers crossed. (laughs) That was Aaron Spiro, ladies and gentlemen. Hope that was an interesting listen for you. And I wish Aaron success as he continues to navigate his musical career. Crossing fingers. So, everybody, there's only a few weeks left that Talking About the Passion has a shot at getting on the iTunes Music Podcast new and noteworthy. This shiz is getting real. If you like the podcast, please subscribe on iTunes. Also, please write a review or give me a rating if you are at all inclined to do so. I would really appreciate it. If anyone has suggestions, comments, or questions for me about the podcast, or if you would like to inquire about getting featured on the podcast, You can email tatppodcast at gmail.com. The theme song for Talking About the Passion is the Niagara Moon track Pantheon Bar off my recent album Eating Peaches. Up now we have one more of Aaron's songs. This is called Buy In. Fish.
motion to try out Make something for yourself In any way how Cause it's you who needs to live in the now Oh, yeah, yeah. 